Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Tonight on The Readout... Why do I why care about what's going on in the conflict between Ukraine and Russia? Because, and I'm serious. Like, why do I, I tell you why? And why shouldn't I root for Russia, because which I am? It might be worth asking yourself, since it is getting pretty serious, what is this really about? Why do I hate Putin so much? Has Putin ever called me a racist? Has he threatened to get me fired for disagreeing with him? No American TV host spouted Russian talking points the way Tucker did. And Russia is saying it is sad to see him go. Well, tonight, there's new information on what led to his firing. Also tonight, transgender Montana State Representative Zoe Zephyr joins me after Republicans voted to discipline her late today for her impassioned defense of trans care. Plus, dramatic testimony from E. Jean Carroll as the civil rape trial of Donald Trump got underway today in Manhattan. But we begin tonight with the one-man conspiracy promoter, also known as Tucker Carlson. Up until Monday, Tucker hosted one of, if not the most watched cable news shows in the country. But his ouster from Fox wasn't just any old firing. Tucker presented a unique danger that was unlike anything else we've seen in American cable news history, almost exclusively using his one-hour slot to peddle the worst of the worst conspiracies and authoritarian propaganda to millions of Americans, to the point where one of the most prominent people who came to Tucker's defense after his firing was, I kid you not, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. Perhaps it would be useful to consider how things are with freedom of speech in the United States. I've heard that Tucker Carlson has left Fox News. It's curious news. What is this related to? One can only guess, but clearly... The wealth of views in the American information space has suffered as a result. Now, if it was anyone else, the idea that a senior Kremlin official would be defending a United States TV anchor at the United Nations, no less, would be unbelievable. It would be unheard of. But because it's Tuckums, it's not even surprising. It is no secret that his show was the Kremlin's favorite Russian state TV. It's favorite. Russian state TV would frequently air clips of Tucker defending him, defending Putin, especially after the invasion of Ukraine. And almost immediately after being ousted by Fox, Tucker was even receiving job offers from Russian state TV. But it wasn't just Russia. Tucker also wielded tremendous influence over the Republican Party. It was often Tucker who took some of the most fringe and most dangerous conspiracies that you would find in the darkest corners of the interwebs and inject them into mainstream Republican politics. He was essentially the 4chan to Capitol Hill pipeline. The most egregious example being the great replacement theory between railing on a show about how immigrants are making our country dirtier while claiming there is no such thing as white supremacy. Tucker would ramble on for 20 minutes at a time, promoting the conspiracy theory that immigrants are being brought in by the Jews, of course. 
to replace native-born white Americans, which prior to his show was only popular on white supremacist internet forums and tiki torch marches where khaki-wearing Nazis chant, Jews will not replace us. But not long after Tucker brought the Tiki Torch March indoors to the Fox airwaves, you had almost the entire Republican Party embracing that theory, including Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who tweeted, Tucker Carlson is correct about replacement theory as he explains what is happening to America. During his campaign for Senate, Peter Thiel backed Trump sycophant J.D. Vance told Fox that Democrats, quote, have decided that they can't win re-election unless they bring a large number of new voters to replace the voters that are already here. That is the kind of talk that would get a lawmaker expelled just 10 years ago. But thanks to Tucker, it's now standard Republican talking points. And then there's January 6th. Tucker took the lead when it came to writing a revisionist history of the insurrection with the help of Kevin McCarthy who handed him and no one else 40,000 hours of footage from that day, which Tucker selectively edited in order to frame the angry mob that attempted to overturn the election as meek sightseers. But Carlson's former producer, Abby Grossberg, told the great Nicole Wallace yesterday what else he tried to do with that footage. When the January 6th tapes were coming out, Tucker was very set on finding an FBI person who was implanted in the crowd and spinning this conspiracy that they were ultimately the ones responsible for the Capitol attack. I went back to them and said, look, there's no conspiracy theory here. I called this attorney that's representing one of the Proud Boys, and he flat out told me on two occasions, there is no conspiracy. Get away from this stuff. This is dangerous. Tell Tucker to stop. I'll come on your show and represent my client, but I absolutely will walk off if he asks me this. And the response was, well, find somebody else. Tucker is really intent on this. So let that sink in. The host of the most watched cable news show was intent on framing the insurrection as an FBI conspiracy. Think about how dangerous it is when right wingers have already previously threatened and attacked FBI offices. But none of that seemed to matter to the Fox executive suite. Nope, none of it. What actually pushed them over the edge, according to new reporting from The Wall Street Journal, was his, quote, vulgar and offensive messages about them and about his colleagues that were in the redacted portions of the Dominion filings, including the time that he called a senior executive at Fox the C-word, according to people familiar with the matter. Talk about only caring when it happens to you and not to your fellow citizens or to your country. Well, now, Fox has a decision to make. Since whoever they put in the anchor chair at 8 p.m. will be watched by millions of Americans, regardless of who they are. So will Fox stick with the brand of vulgar, white supremacist and Kremlin talking points that Tucker brought them? Or... Will they take it in a different direction? Joining me now is Jelani Cobb, dean of the Columbia University School of Journalism, staff writer for The New Yorker and MSNBC political contributor, and Nicole Hemmer, political historian and professor at Vanderbilt University. Uh, Thank you both for being here. Professor Hemmer, I do want to start with you because this is uh, kind of your field of of, of expertise and study. Um, My colleagues, Brandy Zadrozny and Ben Collins, have written a piece that I just want to read a little bit of. Um, There's a right-wing fringe writer who says that Tucker was basically the only person at Fox who would dare to have me on. I'm not the only case. There are other 
people and nobody would dare to let them or any other Fox show um, let them on any other Fox show. But Tucker would have them on to say things you wouldn't hear anywhere else on American TV and that his relationship um, with these fringe voices was like mutual. Um, Far right people could actually get on another little bit of this. And I think I'm reading the wrong thing that was up on the air. I'm sorry. Once a story reached Tucker Carlson, it was at the apex of conservative media. And Fox News is the voice of authority in conservative media, said Robert Ferris, senior researcher at Harvard University Shorenstein School of Media. If it let other people know that it is okay to talk about these kinds of things in the language that they use, that it's not just on the air, it's ambient. It's on so many public spaces. And that means that anything they platform has a wider reach. Talk a little bit about this, because that seems to be what Tucker really did, is he took wild stuff off of 4chan and mainstreamed it. Right. This was the power of Tucker Carlson's show, was that it was a pipeline from these various parts of the far right into a more mainstream right-wing platform, one that wasn't necessarily so strongly associated with racist conspiracy theories, although Fox is not, you know, it's not new that there is racist content on Fox News. But, you know, he had writers like Blake Neff, who was ultimately fired for posting pretty incendiary and racist content on a far right and openly racist website. And Neff bragged about the fact that he was able to use Carlson's show in order to get this material out there. So this was a a powerful platform, not just for Tucker Carlson, but for this far right racist white uh, white right. Let me let me read just one more part. This is the part that was on your screen just a moment ago. Sorry about that, y'all. I read a little bit extra. This is another part of that same uh, piece that I just read. White supremacist message boards, which frequently watched along live with Tucker Carlson's show, were overloaded with posts lamenting his firing. Tucker's one of the last... Our guys, wrote one 4chan user, referring to a meme among white nationalists to identify fellow travelers online. Bad times coming, Anons. Uh, Been obvious for a while, but it seems to be reaching its apogee, another 4chan user said. To stay with you one more moment, um, uh, Professor Hammer. The white nationalist, the white right has been trying to get inside of the mainstream Republican Party for a long time. They they, they picked at the Tea Party because they knew there was a lot of anti-Obama white resentment there. They picked at the Trump sort of MAGA movement. It does seem that Tucker was an accelerator for mainstreaming, specifically white supremacy and white nationalism, um, particularly when it comes to the replacement theory. He absolutely was. I mean, Fox News was seen as a more respectable platform. Remember in the Obama years that other journalistic outlets would stand up for Fox News whenever the Obama administration criticized it because they saw those journalists as they saw the people at Fox News as fellow journalists. I think that's not really the case anymore. Um, And Tucker Carlson actually had a big role to play in that as well, because exactly because he was so overt about his white nationalism and about his racism. You know, and Jelani, I'm glad that you're here as, as the head of a journalist department, because I think that's you were, you were nodding um, when Professor Hammer was saying, you know, journalists used to defend Fox News. You know, I have colleagues that would defend sure. them and say, you know, you can't go by just what's on prime time. But this taints all of what Fox News was supposed to be, because there was no editor, no executive who was willing to stop him from doing that. The only time they stopped him and fired him is when he insulted them. Sure. So one thing to keep in mind is that the reason that journalists defended Fox News, especially in the Obama era, was that they were defending a portion of Fox News that they could identify with, which was the news gathering organization, which is fairly normal, fairly standard organization. Now, it had a right ranging from right to far right opinion uh, section. And, you know, that was the programming that people were most familiar with in primetime. That's not entirely unusual 
But in most of these setups, including the setup that we're on now, the opinion uh, element is uh, follows the news gathering that people right. will interpret the information that the news gathering uh, you know side you know, develops. But in on Fox, and this is what the Dominion case really brought out. It seems to have been inverted that people knew information. Uh, they knew what was true, uh, but they also were in the business of catering to what their audiences wanted to hear. So it was the opinion, not the news side that actually led. Uh, and so on the heels of that, you know, with that being exposed, they were vulnerable in a way that they weren't otherwise. I think were this these uh, text messages to come out in some other context, I, I don't think that, you know, we would be seeing the, the demise of Tucker Carlson as a Fox News host in the way that we're seeing it right now. I agree. There's no there's no sign that Lachlan Murdoch and Rupert Murdoch would have stopped him had he not said talk trash about the executives there and created this toxic work environment that got them sued by one of the reporters that I mean, one of the uh, uh, executives there. I'm not sorry. I'm one of the producers there, one of his senior producers. Let me just play. This is a guy named Ray Epps. This is the, the real world consequences of the kind of stuff that Tucker did in the lives of one individual man. His name is Ray Epps. He was on 60 Minutes this past week. He's obsessed with me. He's going to any means possible to destroy my life and our lives. Why? To shift blame on somebody else. If you look at it, Fox News, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Ted Cruz, Gates, they're all telling us before this thing that it was stolen. So you tell me, who has more impact on people, them or me? I mean, that is life ruining, uh, Jelani. I mean, there. look, I'm an opinion journalist, but we have a standards and practices sure. department here. You just can't come on and sure. say anything you want. Standards and practices goes through and make sure that the things we're saying are actually factual. You can give your informed right. opinion as a host, but you can't just say anything you want. In this case, this supposed, quote unquote, news show was painting that guy who's an anonymous person as an FBI agent and plant who was the real person behind January 6th. And then that means that that guy, who was actually a Trump supporter, ends up getting death threats and his life ruined. That is the opposite sure. of journalistic journalism's purpose. Sure. And the, and the problem with that is that people who don't, who are not intimately familiar with how news and opinion journalism work, and I can include myself in this as a person who's done opinion journalism at The New Yorker for the past 10 years, that if you don't know the distinctions between what standards and practice will, will, will let you get away with, what fact checking will let you get away with, the ways in which opinion has to be within certain parameters that are governed by facts. Uh, if you don't know that, then when you hear something that is so outlandish the way that you you frequently did on Carlson's show, you're believing that this is vetted information. That this is the information of the same caliber uh, and, and the same uh, degree of accuracy that you might get elsewhere uh, or even more accurate than you might get elsewhere. And that's what makes this, I think, so dangerous. Uh, the One other thing I do want to add, though, really quickly, is that some of this is about Tucker Carlson. A good bit of this is about the ecosystem he operated in, because when we look at this, uh, he replaced Megyn Kelly. Uh, and, you know, before that, you know, there was there's Bill O'Reilly. Before that was there was Glenn Beck. Uh, it, it's not like he was uh, you know, this unique figure. Uh, he may have been the most extreme example of it, although I think Glenn Beck might have given him a run for his money. And, and well, I mean, you know, Megyn Kelly championed blackface. So I think she was in the running, too, with the with the rest. Right. There was there it is. And so. 
uh, it's not like uh, these people are going to run out and, and get a, a Nobel Prize winner, uh, <laughs> kind of epic humanitarian uh, to to fill that slot and, and yeah. whatever happens next. Well, and that is the thing. Um, one might call it grooming, Professor Henner, that essentially you're taking millions of people, you're showing them something that looks like the news and you're saying Black people are dangerous. Black people are dangerous. You should get a lot of guns. And then we're surprised that somebody who watches a lot of Fox News shoots a black person who's a teenager who rings his doorbell. We say you go out and say immigrants are making our country dirty. Their immigrants are making our country foul. And then you wonder why there's so much racism against non-white immigrants. This man was grooming millions of people into far right, one might say, white nationalist beliefs who would have otherwise just thought of themselves as ordinary Republicans. Talk about where Fox goes from here, because to Jelani's point, they've shown no inkling to want something other than that. His show didn't even have commercials and they didn't care that they weren't making money off of it. They wanted that message on their air. Right. And remember, we've spent some time talking about what Tucker Carlson was fired for. But what might be more important is what he wasn't fired for. He wasn't fired for racism. He wasn't fired for mainstreaming white nationalism. He wasn't fired for conspiracy theories about the election. He wasn't fired for conspiracy theories about January 6th. And so when it comes to replacing Tucker Carlson, maybe they want someone who doesn't use the C word in the office. But it's unlikely that they're going to look for somebody who doesn't offer conspiracy conspiracy theories, because the thing is, yes, you can talk about it as grooming, but it's also what the audience wanted. It's what the audience tuned in for. And Fox is going to want to continue to serve that audience. And there are other people who will do it if they don't. They know that. So they're going to try to find a way to do it again. That's the sad and frightening thing. Uh, Jelani Cobb, Nicole Hemmer, thank you both very much. Up next on The Readout, it's another Tennessee three in the making. Montana Republicans are now punishing the state's first and only transgender lawmaker for speaking out unapologetically against anti-trans legislation. We will talk to her next. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Lately, MAGA Republicans love the word decorum. Mind you, this is the same Republican Party that publicly declared the January 6th attack on the Capitol and the events that led to it legitimate political discourse. That party is now clutching their collective pearls in fake outrage over citizens of their own states and even legislators daring to object to their extreme politics. It happened in Georgia when a Democratic House member objected to the governor signing in secret in front of a plantation painting onerous anti-voter legislation. It happened in Arkansas, where a Republican House member silenced 10 students who came to object to a disastrous education bill. 
And most recently, it happened in Tennessee, where House Republicans expelled two black Democratic members for breach of decorum on the House floor because they demanded action on guns, only to be accused of inciting riots or violence. Most Americans would consider those attempts to silence dissent to be undemocratic and a political disaster. Except in Montana, where House Republicans just punished Missoula Democrat Zoe Zephyr. This conduct cannot be allowed to stand. Our constituents and our state deserve better. They deserve our full attention, and this institution and body deserve the respect of all its members. However, it has not been respected, and we must regain the decorum of this body, not only now, but also to set precedent for the future. Ah, decorum. The House supermajority voted to banish, banish her from the House floor for the rest of the 2023 season, which, by the way, is only eight days. She will still be allowed to vote remotely. Zephyr is Montana's first trans woman elected to the legislature. She became the target of her Republican colleagues after she told fellow Republicans that they should be ashamed of their support of legislation banning trans youth care. She also told her Republican colleagues, quote, I hope the next time there's an invocation when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. That comment triggered the MAGA Montana Republicans who insisted that she be forbidden from speaking. Republicans would only allow her to speak if she apologized for her comments. Allies came to show their support on Monday, demanding that the Republicans let her speak. She raised her hand and a microphone in solidarity. Montana law enforcement descended on the small group of supporters and began arresting them. And in a ludicrous show of force, they even deployed officers in riot gear. On Tuesday, Montana's House Speaker canceled the House floor session without explanation, after accusing Zephyr of encouraging, you guessed it, an insurrection. Joining me now is Montana State Representative Zoe Zephyr. State Representative Zephyr, thank you for being here. Um, let's, let's talk about this uh, censure of you. What you were censured for was saying that your colleagues had, would have blood on their hands. What is in the legislation that, in your view, places that blood on their hands? We've seen a slew of attacks against the LGBTQ community, banning our art forms, our books, our histories, and our health care. And when legislatures bring legislation like that forward, they create an environment that makes it very difficult to thrive as a queer person in this state. And it can't seem to be too easy to thrive as a queer person in this state, as you said. How are you generally treated by your colleagues even before this dust up over what you said? That's part of the struggle is behind the scenes, Republicans are expressing they wish their the far right contingent of their party didn't push this, but they're afraid of being primary. They're afraid of the direction their party's going. But ultimately, those words ring hollow when the votes show up on the board and they vote to take away the rights of queer people in this state. So what you're saying is behind the scenes, they seem to not want to do it, but they do it performatively. Exactly. Let's talk about the, the, the son of the governor, of your governor, um, Governor Gianforte, who has his own interesting history in terms of uh, punching a journalist back in the day. Um, but one of Governor Gianforte's sons identifies as non-binary and uses he and they pronouns and lobbied um, their 
father to vote against these bills. In a meeting that he scheduled, that this son scheduled with their dad, they told him, I would like to make the argument that these bills are immoral, unjust, and frankly, a violation of human rights. Have you had a chance to chat with Governor Gianforte's uh, child, who apparently is on your side? I haven't yet, but I think that highlights the fact that when they think when they target LGBTQ people, they think they're targeting a boogeyman. But we are everywhere, whether you are an administrator at your job or you're the governor of Montana, you're never far from a queer person. And our votes need to show that we're welcome. Let me ask you this, because I think for a lot of people, um, and even for me, we were on our call this morning, and I said to my team that when I use the phrase on television, gender-affirming care, I'll be honest, I don't fully really know what that even means. And in these bills, I highly doubt that your colleagues on the other side know what it means either. What is gender-affirming care in real life when it comes to adults and also when it comes to children? When it comes to adults, a trans woman like me takes uh, hormone replacement therapy. It's exogenous hormones. I inject estrogen once a week. But as a child, that begins by just calling them by the name they'd like to be called. As puberty comes on, that can be puberty blockers. And then as they decide to go on with transition, that can look like hormone replacement therapy. And that, because I think that's important for you to say, because I think that what Republicans are doing is they're playing on people's lack of knowledge, even people like me in the media's lack of knowledge about trans folks. And they're making it sound like people are giving 10-year-old children surgery, which is not true, right? That is not the case. These surgeries, with that, when they happen, are happening mostly in adulthood and in extremely rare circumstances in late teens, again, following the advice of all medical practitioners, best practices of every medical community in the country. I mean, that's an important part. I mean, in even in your own journey, there are there are not only parents and family givers and loved ones involved, but doctors, right? I mean, we're talking about a medical profession and people who are professionals that are involved, right? Exactly. These are decisions made by patients in conjunction with their parents and um, psychologists and therapists following best practices with their doctors. What would be the what do you think will be um, if Governor Gianforte signs these multiple bills? What do you think the impact will be? We know that there is a very high rate of suicide uh, among particularly trans youth um, and LGBT youth in general, more than the average population. What do you think that the results will be? Uh, our community will continue to be afraid about the impacts. We'll continue to see a rise in violence, but you cannot stifle the queer community, we will come together, band together, and be joyous in one another. I, I, am, I am told that even in going after you and um, doing this, these, these pieces of legislation, you were misgendered by your colleagues, that you were disrespected. Um, have you been able to get that corrected and get that respect of you as a fellow legislator um, from your Republican colleagues? Unfortunately, I have not. Um, I'm not surprised at the hypocrisy uh, on that front, given this is a group of people who advocate for limited government, yet are using government to take away the health care of trans people across this country. Yeah, it's not exactly a, a big boost for democracy either when you don't allow someone to speak who is an elected legislator. Very quickly, last comment. Have you heard from your constituents who will essentially now not have representation for nearly two weeks? My constituents are upset. They want their democratically elected representative to speak on their behalf, and they're letting us know.
Well, they should want that because they voted for you and they should be represented. Thank you so much for sharing some of your time. Please keep us posted on what happens. Uh, we need to pay attention to what's going on in Montana. Thank you, uh, Montana Thank State you Representative so Zoe Zephyr. Thank you very much. Be well. And up next on The Readout, I am here because Donald Trump raped me. Those are the words of E. Jean Carroll, who took the stand today in Trump's civil rape trial. That is next. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. It was an emotional day today in a Manhattan courtroom as writer E. Jean Carroll took the stand in her civil case against Donald Trump, telling jurors, quote, I'm here because Trump raped me. Carol broke down in tears as she described in detail the alleged incident inside a New York department store in the 1990s, and then how, after she went public with it in 2019, Trump lied when he denied her claims and, quote, shattered her reputation by calling it a hoax to boost sales of her book. She did not have the chance to look her alleged attacker in the eyes, however. Trump's lawyer claimed that logistical reasons were keeping him from appearing in the courtroom. But logistics do not appear to be a problem when he jets off next week to his golf courses in Scotland and Ireland, according to Sky News. Despite his absence, Trump was able to cause problems in the courtroom today. Just after the day's proceedings began, he reiterated his claims on his Twitter knockoff that his case is, quote, a made-up scam and ranted about various aspects of it. It led to the judge warning Trump's lawyer, who was present in the courtroom, that his client's posts seem entirely inappropriate and may cross the line into tampering with the jury. Joining me now is Kristen Gibbons-Fedden, former prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst and MSNBC reporter, producer Adam Reese, who was in the courtroom today. Adam, let's start with you. Give us a little bit of a sense of what went on in that courtroom today. Joy, the fireworks began, as you said, even before the jury was in the courtroom. The judge, Judge Kaplan, is furious with Mr. Trump and his legal team because Mr. Trump posted on True Social today that the case is a hoax, that the attorney for E. Jean Carroll is a political operative, and that the dress that she was allegedly wearing on that night should be put into evidence. And the judge said, what's going on here? We gave you an opportunity to give your DNA for over over a year, and you haven't done that. And these statements, not only by Mr. Trump, but by his son, Eric, who tweeted this afternoon, absolutely inappropriate. Joe Tacopina, Mr. Trump's attorney, said he would speak to his client. We'll see if there are any more tweets. The first witness up today, the first witness of the case, was uh, a woman who is the manager of Bergdorf at the time, 1996. She described the layout of this store, the floor plan. They actually showed 
blueprints, where the lingerie department was, where her office was, where the escalators were, where they allegedly came up. She said that uh, lingerie wasn't a focus of Bergdorf Goodman. Maybe there was one sales associate on the floor, and maybe that associate was off on a break or working with a customer, and that if someone screamed in the dressing room, they'd have to scream loud if anyone were able to hear it. And finally, she said, sometimes, unfortunately, dressing room doors were left open. Next, Mm. the star witness, E. Jean Carroll, took the stand. Very harrowing, vivid, graphic testimony. Talked about how she went to the store to buy herself a gift. As she was leaving, going out through the revolving doors, she sees Mr. Trump. He says, hey, you're the advice woman. She says, hey, you're the real estate guy. He says, help me find a gift for a woman. They go inside. They look at some hats. They look at some other items. They go up to the sixth floor where the lingerie department is. He picks up a piece of lingerie, says, hey, try it on. All the while, she says, she's laughing. There's banter. She's really enjoying herself. And she says, this will be material that I can use for my column. He pulls her into the dressing room, shoves her against the wall. This is all according to her. He completely denies any of this happened, pins her against the wall, pulls down her tights and forces himself on her. She panics. She shoves him away. She slams his foot with her four inch heels and runs out of the store. She tells two people. One person, she told Lisa Birnbach, a friend and a writer, and another, Carol Martin, a WCBS anchorwoman at the time. One of them told her to call the police. The other said, don't say a word. He's got 200 attorneys. He will bury you. She's back on the stand tomorrow, 45 minutes of direct, and then cross. Joy, that will be brutal cross-examination. Yeah, Joe Tacopina doesn't seem like somebody that uh, a woman who has gone through that kind of trauma might be enjoy uh, being in front of. Kristen, let me go to you and uh, you, what you just heard. What is the significance um, of hearing from um, e. Jean Carroll right away um, the first day and then hearing from her at the end, at the end of the day, not a cross-examination of her, but just hearing her story and then being able to hear her again first uh, when the trial resumes tomorrow? Well, it allows the jury to go home and think about what they heard. And in this particular case, they're going to think about the graphic and the detail, very vivid account of what she remembers, substantially remembers about the attack she suffered in there and the rape specifically by Donald Trump. It allows the jury to then come back in the morning and hear more details about it. And what it does, Joy, and I've direct examined countless witnesses and countless survivors. What it does is it invites the jury to truly empathize Mm. with the witness and really empathize with their experience so they can kind of feel the suffering along with her as she testifies. And we know that there are going to be other uh, folks that are going to testify who have gone through similar things and that sort of Trump's prior bad acts are going to come in. Let me play very quickly just a, a smattering of what Trump tends to sound like when he's talking about his own behavior. No, they're standing there with no clothes. Is everybody okay? And you see these incredible looking women. And so I sort of get away with things like that. Just, I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the <laughs> I can do anything. He went after me on the plane. Yeah, I'm going to go after. Believe me, she would not be my first choice, that I can tell you. Man. You don't know. That would not be my first choice. Take a look. You take a look. Look at her. Look at her words. You tell me what you think. I don't think so. I don't think so. 
Christian, the woman who, who's, quote, when he went after on the plane uh, is going to testify. Jessica Leeds elect alleged that Trump grabbed her breasts uh, and tried to reach up her skirt on a flight to New York more than three decades ago. There's a woman named Natasha Stoinoff who alleged that Trump pushed her against a wall and forced his tongue down her throat while she was on a reporting trip to Mar-a-Lago in 2005. The Access Hollywood tape is coming in. Christian, what's the significance of that? This is a civil trial and not a criminal trial. So I, I assume that's why these things can come in. Yeah. And if you remember this also, this prior act evidence also came in the criminal trials of Cosby, which I prosecuted, as well as in Weinstein. And so these are just evidentiary rulings, but they are significant because what it does is it establishes that intent, that motive of predatory misconduct that was seen by Trump, both in Carol's case, but also in Leeds and the other young lady, but also in that video that, that those are Trump's words. And that is extremely important in this case, Joy, where there is a high likelihood where Trump will not 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 only testify, but won't even make an appearance at the trial. And so the jury will be able to hear Trump's words without hearing him on the stand. That is interesting, Adam. So tomorrow, how is it expected to roll out? Because, right, Trump apparently is not going to testify. He's going to be in Scotland. What are we thinking we're going to see tomorrow? We have about 45 minutes more of direct and then cross. And, and like I said, it's going to be a brutal cross-examination. They say it's impossible this could have ever happened. You have no witnesses. You never called the police. There will be those outcry witnesses that I mentioned and the ones you mentioned, at least two other women who claim prior bad acts and, of course, that Access Hollywood tape. It's going to be uh, something else. And there are no cameras in the courtroom. And uh, as we can see, that's why we're very thankful that we have you, uh, Adam Reese, who is in the courtroom today. Kristen Gibbons, thank you. Kristen Gibbons Fedden, give your proper full name. Thank you both very much. And coming up next on The Readout, after neglecting Jackson lawmakers' concerns, Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves signed laws today that grant the state, or this week, that grant the state more control over Jackson's law enforcement. Now the NAACP is suing to block it. Stay right there. On Friday, Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves signed two bills infringing on the autonomy of the capital city of Jackson, creating a new justice system within the 83% black city, as well as an expanded capital police force, saying that, quote, Jackson has to do better. The NAACP, as well as local residents, have sued the state, calling the new laws a separate but equal system. MSNBC correspondent Tremaine Lee has been reporting extensively for Mississippi and joins me now. Tremaine, um, what have you learned? What have you seen? Joy, I'll tell you what, the, the already deep abyss between the majority black city of Jackson and its leaders and the white majority in the state legislature has been driven even deeper. But people in Jackson say it's not just concern over a power grab. They fear this could have very violent and deadly consequences. Let's take a look. The bullets came in on this side. This is my daughter's window right here. These right here. These are bullet uh, holes. Last December, 49-year-old Latasha Smith says she was shot in the forearm when bullets fired from outside of her apartment crashed into her Jackson, Mississippi home. The bullet caught me right here. Officials say the shots were fired by a Mississippi Capitol Police officer who was chasing people after they fled a suspected stolen car. This summer, Mississippi will expand the jurisdiction of its state-run police force from the downtown Capitol complex to all of Jackson under two new controversial laws passed by the Republican-led majority white legislature. House Bill 1020 and Senate Bill 2343 will essentially create a new justice system within Jackson with its own unelected municipal court and expanded Capitol police force that the city has no control over. Some in Jackson, which is more than 80 percent black, 
See, the move diverts power away from the voting citizens of Jackson, amounting to a state-led takeover of criminal justice in the city. This is about vote dilution. NAACP president Derek Johnson is a longtime Jackson resident. It is not a, a, a solution for the state to step in without any true coordination conversation and use of the authority of the city of Jackson. The civil rights group is suing the state to block the laws, claiming Jackson's residents have been targeted for a separate and unequal policing and criminal justice system. Law and order is critical. Governor Tate Reeves denies any attempt to take power away from Jackson, adding the laws are meant to improve safety and prosperity. I've lived in Jackson for almost a third of my life, and I want what's best for Jackson. The battle over public safety and criminal justice comes as the city is experiencing a sharp rise in violence. Last year, 138 people were killed in Jackson, the highest per capita homicide rate in the nation, according to Jackson police and FBI records. Bishop Dwayne Pickett agrees there is a need for more police, just not like this. They're not answerable to the mayor who looks like us. They're not answerable to, uh, to the, the, the structure inside of our community. Mississippi Department of Public Safety Commissioner Sean Tyndall, who oversees the Capitol Police, told us the agency is working to build trust in the community. I want to be engaged with the public. I want our officers to be engaged with the public. Um, and, and I want them to trust, A, uh, that they're going to do their job and they're going to do it with good training. In many states, a separate agency is called to investigate police shootings. But here, the same public safety officials who oversee the police are investigating the police and the several officer-involved shootings that have occurred since they began expanding last summer. Among them is the fatal shooting of 25-year-old Jalen Lewis during a traffic stop in September. Also under investigation, the shooting that injured Latasha Smith. Well, this is a black community and all these apartments was filled with people. What gave him the right to come in this community shooting? Responding to concerns, we told him we heard from Jackson residents. Commissioner Tyndall said the department is working on being more transparent. Once those investigations are complete, not only uh, are the videos going to be made public, but the investigative files of the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation will be made public. Smith says she has more questions. But she won't be in Jackson while she waits for answers. I went today after work looking for a house to move in and get out of Jackson, Mississippi. I refuse to stay anywhere Capitol Police would be involved. Wow, Tremaine, you know, when I listen to that uh, package, all I can think of is apartheid. That's what this sounds like. This sounds like apartheid era South Africa, in which the vast majority black population is now going to be policed by an all white uh, police force that doesn't uh, seem to be answerable to their local government at all. Is there going to be any action here? Um, are the feds looking at this, the Justice Department? And what's the status of this lawsuit? Those are all really important uh, questions, Joy. First, there are a number of lawsuits in the works right now. The NAACP, as we mentioned, has their lawsuit claiming that uh, the system basically created uh, separate but unequal systems of, of, of governance in, in that city. But you also have the ACLU representing a handful of uh, activist organizations who filed on behalf of three um, Jackson residents who said their rights were violated because of the idea that unelected judges would be put in control of these courts, which, again, is actually against uh, the state constitution. But lastly, Latasha Smith is also suing the Capitol Police Department, claiming that uh, the department and their commanders acted recklessly and used unusual force against her. The DOJ has not um, weighed in yet. But there have been calls from some folks we talked to saying that they need to get down there now because, as you mentioned, the cleave, the divide in this, this community is being widened every single day.
Yeah, Colin Kristen Clark. Um, the uh, head of the Capitol Police, Mr. Tyndall, said that they they want to they want to build trust in the in the community. I'm sorry to laugh when I heard him say that, but uh, build trust with who? Who is he talking to in the community? You know, again, it's it's one of those tricky positions where you're not sure if they're being slick or really honest. But folks say that they not only have the Capitol Police not been transparent, the folks who got shot, like Latasha Smith or the family of Jalen Lewis, say they they haven't even gotten any phone calls, any letters, any information at all. And so when I pressed press Tyndall, he said, listen, we're one thing we're not going to do is let criminals run the city. So we're going to continue to be aggressive. <laughs> but they're working to build that trust. But that trust hasn't seeped down to the community, at least the folks we spoke to. Yeah, it's kind of hard to trust an uh, entity that makes laws that your local elected leadership had no say in uh, and can't do anything about and where you'll have no control and you're 83 percent of the population. Wild times in Jackson. We are going to stay with the story. Tremaine Lee, great job. Thank you very much. And please keep us up to date on it. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, that is tonight's readout. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.